The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Season um, to see that the gospel go to the nations. I- I'm so thankful for that. Uh, appreciate um, Greg leading out in so much of that, and um, I-, I am too. I- I make, we make no apologies today. We make no apologies to you that we are calling you to come and go. To, to give your life. And we do. We understand and recognize that some cannot go. And we would challenge you and encourage you to, to send, to be senders, to be so invested in the glory of God among the nations that you would say, I will give of my comfort and my resources. While I cannot go, I will give so that someone else may go and may share the gospel. Um, I, would, I would certainly call all of us to pray, and I'm going to do that today in, in this message this morning. Psalm 67 is where we'll be. Before I read the passage, um, is there anything wrong with stuff? Well, no. Is there anything wrong with, uh, with vehicles, with, with clothes? Uh, this is school starting tomorrow, lots of new clothes and lots of new shoes being bought. Um, and uh, is, is there anything wrong with that? Absolutely not. Uh, anything wrong with iPads or golf clubs or new purses or computers or toys or whatever the case may be? No, there's nothing inherently wrong in that. There's nothing inherently wrong in matter. It, it, is, it is neither good nor bad. It is made by God. But can material things, can stuff become a vehicle that rather than pushing people toward God, can they become a vehicle that drives people away from following God? Well, you know the answer to that as well. Yes, absolutely, that can be the case. In Matthew 19, Jesus encounters this rich young man who comes and and he basically says, what must I do? What good deed must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus goes over with him those commandments and he says, I've kept all these things from my youth. And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect... The word perfect is so important there. If you would be perfect to the rich young man, he said, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. One of the saddest lines in all of the Bible and in all of history, when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. See, his possessions had become less of a vehicle driving him toward following God and had become the vehicle that was now keeping him from going and driving him from following God. What if we, sitting here this morning in a very affluent America, what if we could gain a new understanding of what these material things that God has given into our lives, what if we could gain a new understanding about God's purpose for them and how they might be used not to drive us away but to push us further into seeking and pursuing God's glory? I want to, with everything in me, communicate that. With everything in me, I want to be able to convince you of that. With everything in me, I want to be able to to motivate you to move out of, to to step out of that perspective and into this new perspective. But the reality is, I can't. We need God's Spirit to do that. 
We need God's word and his spirit to move in our hearts because this is a heart issue. And so with that, we turn to the passage today, to the very word of God. Psalm 67, the psalmist writes, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. This morning... The psalmist, when he prays this prayer, notice this is a prayer. The psalmist is simply taking what is the promise of the Word of God, a theme that's been repeated all throughout Scripture, and the psalmist is simply turning this and praying the promise of God. The theme for us is first, it first shows up when God calls Abram in Genesis 12. In Genesis 12, God comes to Abram and he says, Go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. See, the theme that is repeated that the psalmist is praying this morning is God blesses his people so that those blessings may bless the nations so that they may be glad in him. From the beginning, God has done this. From the beginning, God has blessed his chosen people in order to bless the nations. I want to walk through this passage, and we'll just walk through it rather quickly. Um, But just these first five verses, let's look at what's here. First point is this, God has blessed us. It says in verse one, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. And it's interesting there at the end of verse one, there's that little word maybe off to the side of the page, but that little word, Selah. It's a technical music term that means stop and think about this. Stop and consider this. So let's do just that. Has God blessed us? Has God been gracious to us? Has he made his face to shine upon us? That phrase, his face to shine upon us, is is the picture of a shining face is a smiling face. Uh, A lot of people, when they think of God, they don't think of God smiling at them. Instead, they think that God is in some ways angry, that he's frowning at them. Maybe he's disappointed. He's certainly embarrassed toward them. If I was thinking about this and putting it sort of in the vernacular of the culture today, if, if you were receiving a text message from God, what emoji would God select to show how he feels toward you? And right now you can picture all those faces and you think, which one? And, and I, it's, it's quite light and airy of an illustration, but for real, think about it. How do you see God looking toward you? Which one do you select? The reality is the psalmist here says, God be gracious to us. 
Make your face shine upon us. And I ask you the question, has he been gracious to us? Has he blessed us? Has he made his face shine upon us? I want to give you at least three ways. I think the answer is obviously yes. I'm going to give you at least three and maybe four ways this morning quickly. I won't get through all of this. But first, individually or privately in our own lives. I mean, we get up and and the sun comes up in the morning The sun goes down in the evening. It's like clockwork. We even have newscasters that can tell us what time it will come up and what time it will go down. And we give no thought to the fact that that doesn't happen unless our God is sustaining it and decreeing that it be. The rain falls from the clouds at the command of our God. We complain and we bicker that our grass gets dry or that our gardens wither up. But are we saying, God, would you send the rain? Because we know you give the rain. We have oxygen that we breathe. Nobody thinks about that. Our hearts beat. Our brains function. Nobody sits. You're not sitting there right now saying, breathe, breathe, breathe. It happens. My my sister, when she was attacked and she laid in the driveway unconscious all night long, her heart didn't stop. Her breathing didn't quit. Her brain didn't cease to function. Why? Was she somehow somewhat conscious to where she could at least do the minimum things to keep those things going? Or does it point to the fact that we have a God who's on his throne sustaining all of that in our lives as a gift of his grace every single day? We have families. We have friends. We have food. We have more food than we could ever need. None of us in this place are like the the widow in Elijah where Elijah comes and says, would you make a cake for me? And she said, I've got just this amount and I'm, I'm going right now to prepare it for me and my son so that we can eat our last meal and die because we have nothing else. None of us are like that. We have shelter. Oh, the shelter that we have. We sit here this morning... Those who are in Christ, we are saved. We are rescued from our sin. Think over your life and think of all all the experiences of your life that God has redeemed and will continue to redeem for your sanctification that you might be made like Christ so that you might get all the way home. God has certainly blessed us and made his face shine upon us individually. How about nationally? We live in a country with freedom. I mean, we're we're not afraid to go out of our homes for threat of someone capturing us because we profess Christ and taking us to a beach somewhere to end our lives. We live in a nation that is free, and I understand, I realize some of those things are are being threatened at the moment, and we pray for those things, and we labor for those things, but look at how God has blessed us. We have heritage and history and security and a right to vote, and look at the affluence in America. Look at all the things that we have. 
I mean, you don't think there's things out there. Just go to Craigslist this afternoon. And what was at one point someone's great treasure that they found is now their junk they're trying to push off on somebody else. And somebody's lining up to buy their junk. This is the culture we live in. And it, is, it points to a sinfulness, but it also points to the great gracious hand of our God. Corporately, as a church, God has made his face shine upon us. 183 years of history, that didn't happen without God's hand. There are churches that are closing their doors every single week. Every single week they're closing the doors because they can't afford to keep the lights on or, or, or pay the bills or pay salaries. And, and the, the congregation has just died and withered away. And we have 183 years of rich heritage and history as a congregation. We're at this point in 2015 experiencing tremendous unity among the body. A common vision among the body. We may not all agree on every single thing, but we know why we're here. And nobody is disputing the major must of our faith. We are one, and that is the direct grace of God. We have thriving children's ministries and student ministries. I mean, did, did you come last Sunday night and see these kids up here proclaim the gospel? I mean, just, we, we should be thankful. Did you see those students on the video this morning that, that sat in front of a camera, even though it might be uncomfortable to do so, and said to you, it was worth me going It was worth me going to get to show the love of God. Did you hear the students this morning calling you to go as well? We we look around in our faith family and we have multiple teachers. We have multiple people that could teach Bible studies and Sunday school classes and small groups. We We have pastors and deacons that like one another. That's a miracle in itself in a lot of ways, right? I just came out of a weekend with our our deacons and those who will be coming into the office of deacon. And and for Friday night and Saturday morning, we, we enjoyed one another. There's no strife of it's, it's the pastor against the deacons. We're a team. And that is, as a pastor, that's an amazing thing. We're multi-generational. I mean, we live and exist in a day where it seems to be being told to us all the time that if we're going to be what, you know, what a church should be today, then, then we've got to target one particular generation and go after them. One of my greatest pleasures is that I look out and I see white hair, and I look out and I see missing teeth at times because baby teeth have fallen out, right? One of the greatest privileges of my week is when I come off this platform after the sermon and I sit down there and I hear the Powell children sing that song of response. And I walk out of this place and I shake hands and I talk with so many of you. It's a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful building and a beautiful campus. I mean, take note of all the ways that God has made his face to shine upon us. 
Even in the middle of our suffering, we know the blessing of God. Even in the middle of going through suffering that maybe doesn't end well, we are given the grace that we won't know any other way. Those martyrs that were beheaded on those beaches were given martyrs' grace. There are those that are giving, given cancer grace and widow grace and miscarriage grace. If we stop and we look and we read this, this prayer from the psalmist and may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, we have to say, yes, he has. And we give thanks. But I want you to notice the most important word in the entire text. It is the first word of verse 2. That. That your way may be known on earth. The second point is God has blessed us, first point. Second point, to bless the nations. This is the most important word in this whole passage because it it shows us there is a reason for the gift. There's a purpose for the package. We think the blessing is about us, therefore we begin to hoard the blessing. And we build bigger barns and bigger garages to store all of our things. And when we run out of property, then we go rent barns and and storage facilities to stick our stuff in. And we hoard these things for ourselves. We begin to think that God owes us these things. And when they don't come, we're angry with him. But we are to be conduit. You know what you notice when you walk in this room? You you notice when, when you walk in this room, we hit a switch and lights come on. You walk in this room, we've, we've pushed a button, and there is air conditioning. You slide a fader, and there is sound. You click a mouse, and there are images and videos on the screen. You punch another button, and there is a window shade even that will come up and down. You know what you don't see? You don't see that there is piping that runs through these walls and over our head that carries the wires that supply what is needed for all those things. And you and I are not the screens. We are not the shade. We are not the lights. We are not those things. We are the conduit. You don't notice the conduit because you weren't supposed to. You're not meant to notice the conduit. You're meant to notice the stuff that the conduit produces. You and I were never meant to be seen. It's not about us. It's about him. And the things that come into our life from his gracious hand were never meant to be hoarded for ourselves. There's nothing wrong with things. And I'm not saying that we should sell everything and give everything away. We should enjoy gifts from God. But if we've come to the place where our conduit has grown hands that hoard, if our conduit has grown sticky fingers that grab and clutch and hold, And don't care any more about getting the spotlight on God. Then something's wrong. 
I was going to show you a video, but David, we're going to scratch that video because we, we're just out of time. But I, wanna, I just want to say this to you. The nations are in great need. Um, you want, you want to find out the, the nations are in great need, I would send you to a couple of places. Go home today at some point and look at imb.org, internationalmissionboard.org, or go home today and look at Joshua's project, the, the joshuaproject.org, and look at the need around the world. We make assumptions about the church and the rest of the world based on how it is here, and, and it's it is not so. According to the International Mission Board at this point present, I mean, the stats are, are as current as like a couple of weeks ago. There are roughly about 5,000 people, career missionaries, sent through the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention all around the globe. It sounds impressive. There, in, in 2013, there were overseas baptisms. There were 190,957 overseas baptisms. There were 38,989 overseas churches. There were 720,951 church members in in overseas contexts. In 2013, there were uh, 13,824 new churches. Sounds all very impressive until you realize that in the world, uh, there are 949 different people groups that are engaged at this moment with the gospel. There are 3,201 people groups that are unengaged and unreached with the gospel. What that means is that half of the people groups in the world, we're not talking about geographic boundaries like we see around countries. We're talking about groups of people that share an identity within countries. Half of the people groups in the world have little or no access to hearing the gospel. JoshuaProject.org tells us that 86% of all Hindus, Muslims, and Buddhists don't know a single Christian. 10 of, of Sudan's 164 people groups have Christianity as their primary religion, and 131 people groups in Sudan have Islam as their primary religion. For every dollar of Christian resources, less than one penny is directed at reaching unreached peoples. 1.75 billion people have no access to the gospel. And, And church, I would just pause right here and go off my notes for a minute and say, what is the greatest need? Is it not the gospel? I don't know if you heard Greg say that, but they went into and worked in three counties that have been determined to be the three hardest counties in America, and it is where politicians stop, and it is where lots of government dollars go, but the hurting and the problem does not end. Why? Because government and money is not the answer. The gospel is. The gospel is what will only bring hope. Now, we use those things. We use money and resources to to bring food to the needy, to dig wells, to serve orphans. All those things, we, we use those resources, but ultimately it goes to the gospel. That's what it says here, and I'm way out of time, but let me just, let me just say this. In the text, in the text, he says, 
that your way may be known on earth and your saving power among all nations. Third point, and I'll end here, is this. God has blessed us to bless the nations so that the world would be glad in God. Why, why would the people be glad? Why, why? Why would the people be glad? When I say to you the gospel is the answer, here's why. Because in verse 3, they have, if, if the gospel goes and they hear the gospel and the Spirit moves on their heart and they are saved, they repent and trust Christ, then for the first time in their lives, they have found meaningful worship. Don't miss the fact that the psalmist says, let the peoples praise you, O God. Make no mistake about it. In these places, worship is happening. But it is false worship. It is the, the worship of Islam and Buddhism and worshiping ancestors and all these things. And it is not meaningful worship. There is no way to the Father but through Jesus. John Piper said, In a world supercharged with the presence of Islam, it does not help the cause of truth or love to say that we worship the same God. We do not worship the same God. Muslims do not believe in a Jesus who died, who gave his life as a ransom, who rose from the dead, and who claimed to be the divine Son of God. All those things are rejected by Islam. So when we hear that 86% of all Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists don't know a single Christian, it should alarm us. It should move us. The nations will only be glad in God if they come to know Him as Lord and begin to find meaningful worship that ends on Him. But also they would be glad in God because they have been made right with the judge of the nations. Notice there in verse 4 that He judges all peoples with equity. That all people will be judged fairly in the end. You know what the standard will be in the end? The standard will be perfection. There's only one hope for that. There's not a person anywhere on the planet in this room or anywhere around the world going back through history or going forward into into the future. There is not a single person that will ever say they have done it all perfectly but one. And his name is Jesus. The only way you and I will be made glad, the only way the nations will be made glad is when we turn from our sin and trust in the one who lived perfectly for us and gives us that and died in our place. When that happens, guess what? Those people sing for joy. Those people can't help but be glad. I'll close with this. I'm done. You've heard those three points. God has blessed us to bless the nations so that they may be glad in him. But don't start packing up yet because I don't want you tuning out. We position ourselves for blessing when we pray, when we go, when we give to the nations. 
When, when, when we hold on to our things, look at my hands. I'm not positioned to be able to receive anything else from God. When we clutch those things and we say, nope, these are mine. But when we open our hands and say, God, take, take what you've given. All good things come from you. You own the cattle on a thousand hills. There's nothing that you can't make happen. And so it is, it is, no, it is no scary thing for me to release these things. God, take these things. Take these comforts of mine. Take these amenities. Take, take everything of, of mine, if you will. Look at my hands. God says, I can trust a person like that. And our hands are positioned to receive from him again so that we might receive and give, receive and give, receive and give, so that the glory of God might be known among the nations. My question to you is this. When you read this passage, when you read this prayer in the psalm, can you say, this is my prayer? Oh, God, be gracious to me. Bless me. Make your face shine upon me. That the nations may come to know you, your way on earth. I want to give you the opportunity this morning as a church to wrestle with that question. Can this be your prayer? Is this your prayer? I want to give you an opportunity to wrestle with that question. I hope that today, as Ethan comes, he's going to play. Again, don't, don't pack up. Don't shut down. I want you to wrestle with that question. Can I pray this personally? I want us as a church, I pray that, I hope you will pray it personally. I hope that we will pray it corporately. We're going to do something that we haven't done before. And in just a few minutes, when you're ready, Ethan's going to come and play. When you're ready, I want you to turn and I want you to get into groups of five or six people. You say, what? This is Sunday morning. We don't do that on Sunday morning. We are today. If you're a guest with us here today, this may be uncomfortable for you. And, and our, our goal, our intention is not to, to embarrass you or to make you uncomfortable. But we also want to model for you a church that follows the Lord. We want you to see more than slick presentations and smooth transitions and nice lighting and sound and, and, and band and all that. We want you to see a people who says, beyond all of it, we want to be what God wants us to be. So when you're ready, I want you to get into groups of five or six or three or four or whatever the case may be with people around you. Just turn. And you may not say, well, I don't really know them behind me. Turn and, and just pray together. Pray this together. Somebody in your group can lead the prayer. More than one person can lead the, the prayer, whatever the case may be, but just pray together. And if, if you need to talk to me, I'm going to be down here. And in just a few minutes, I'll come and close this. I'll bring it back together. But I want us to today, together, as a faith family, not just segregated Wednesday night prayer meeting, but today, I want us to pray together. So when you're ready, turn and pray. Ethan, you come lead us. Let's, let, let's, let's do that now. Turn and pray. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.